Good morning, everyone. Ooh, heard someone say my name. That's very nice of you. Good morning. So we're carrying on our series in Acts, and we've got to the middle of chapter 8, as Julia's just read for us. And the subtitle you'll see in the bulletin is that it's all about Jesus. So just welcome the youth. You've been through Sunday school for how many years, where the Jesus is always the answer to the question, and it's the same today. It's all about Jesus. So hopefully... That will at least keep you thinking, well, it's not going to change when I come here. It's always all about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere that somebody told you was really great, really amazing to go, and you went there and it was a complete disappointment. And you may have even felt a bit rejected or pushed away. Some of the houses Natasha and I have been looking at lately look wonderful online. Most amazing photos of huge rooms. And you get there and you can barely squeeze in and the wall's nearly falling over. You're thinking, hmm, that's not quite what we thought it would be. I don't know if you've ever been doing something you thought was fantastic and amazing, like walking around outside and somebody told you, come in and sit down, it's time for the service. Or you've been somewhere and you, you think you're doing something really important and you feel like God's telling you, actually, you need to go and do that. And you're scratching your head and thinking, why on earth would he be taking me from this to do that? Well, today's passage is about two people who've experienced that. One, the eunuch who went and was disappointed, and Philip, who was in the middle of something very important and received a very strange command that he might have been scratching his head about. So just to remind us where we are in the book of Acts, uh, Phil last week took us through Philip going down into Samaria. You remember the um, persecution arose and everyone was scattered a bit out of Jerusalem, and Philip ended up in Samaria and started preaching. And there was a great revival, if you like. Demons were cast out, people were healed, and people believed in Jesus. And so much so, the apostles, Peter and John, came down from Jerusalem, and they prayed, and the, and the Samaritans, this hated group, received the Holy Spirit. And so they were following this pattern that we've seen all along from the very beginning of Acts, Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So last week we were looking at how the and Samaria happened. What's going to happen this week, even though it's not really explicit, is that we're already beginning to touch on the ends of the earth. So let's start diving into the story and see how we go. So Philip is here minding his own business, busy working away, probably in Samaria still, and it says, verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. What comes to mind as we read about what happened to Philip is that this is no ordinary moment for him. He, this isn't you know, just a, a, a sort of quiet thought, well, maybe I should go do something else. This is an angel of the Lord, and it takes us straight away back to how God spoke to people in the Old Testament, sending an angel of the Lord. He does that to people like Gideon, to people like Samson's parents, and then we read it carrying on into the New Testament, how an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph, to Mary, at these key points, saying, this is no ordinary thing. And he uses language that reminds us of prophetic calls in the past. Get up and go. The NIV just says go, but it's a bit more strong than that. It says get up and go, as in now. Get on your your bike or your horse, maybe, back in those days. 
And he says, you know, this is how God calls people to particular tasks. The same language for Abraham when God said, get up and go to a different land. To Jonah, get up and go. Of course, he ran in the opposite direction. To Elijah, get up and go. God comes time and time again to his servants through angels, as I think youth was doing last week, and says, specific command, get up and go. And, it, and it's no ordinary event because this is how God is going to begin to reach the ends of the earth, as we saw in Acts 1.8. But if it was a prophetic command, it was also a very puzzling command. You think of Philip. He's in the middle of an amazing ministry. He's seen literally thousands of people come to know Christ. There was discipleship to do. There was people to instruct. There was a lot going on, the church to establish. And God, in the middle of this ministry to multitudes, says, off you go to the south, to a desert road, where you're not really going to find that many people. And in fact, he told him to go from Jerusalem down to Gaza, a desert road. And Gaza had been destroyed in the past, and so it was a bit of a deserted city anyway. And the only thing was to carry on down to Egypt. Now, I've, I put a map up because I like to see things. So you can see Philip's up in Samaria. To get there, he has to go back to Jerusalem if he hadn't already gone with Peter and John. So it's quite a hike. And then he has to go to this desert place that's going to take him somewhere off to Egypt and Ethiopia. So he might be scratching his head thinking, good Lord, do I need to get my passport ready? Is this more than just a, a little walk in the desert? He doesn't know what's going on. This very specific command says, get up and go to this road. But he's not told anymore. So he just has to pack his bags and head out. And it's strange because he's in the middle of something so important, he would be thinking. And here I'm going off to a desert place. I don't even know what's going to happen. Now, admittedly, I've never had an angel come and tell me to do anything, not counting my angelic wife, of course. But I wonder how many times I've questioned God's wisdom. She's not here, so it's all right. How many times have I questioned God's wisdom, saying, I know what's best. I know what I need to be doing. This is what you've called me to. And he's saying, actually, go to the desert. Go somewhere different. So Philip, unlike me, obeys straight away. The, um, again, the NIV just says he went, but he actually says he got up and he went, exactly as he'd been told to do. And his obedience leads to something of a coincidence, maybe. He, he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot. Now, Google Images is not very helpful trying to find Ethiopian eunuchs, so I just left it at the chariot. But the point, and we're going to look at him in more detail in a moment, but the point I want to to make that I've already mentioned is that he represents the ends of the earth. For the Greeks and the Romans, Ethiopia was literally somewhere they viewed as the ends of the earth. And so he's beginning this movement of mission to the ends of the earth. Someone who's come from there and is going back there, this Ethiopian eunuch. So he's already fought, we're, we're already seeing this pattern again set in Acts 1.8. And I'm just going to say it was at just the right time that he met this man on the way back from Jerusalem. And I'll explain in a moment why that's so important, that it was on his way back. But for now, this coincidence, or you could call it a God incidence, was something that happened because Philip obediently got up and followed God's word to him. And I'm sure he was praying along the way, saying, you know, what am earth? What on earth am I doing here? Why am I going to this desert road? And lo and behold, someone comes along that God has for him to speak to. 
And there's a, a famous saying from a bishop, Bishop J.C. Ryle, who when people said, well, answers to prayer are just coincidences, he says, well, that may be, but the more I pray, the more coincidences there are. So it's an encouragement for us to prayerfully obey what we feel God is calling us to do, even if it seems to make no sense at the time. He will arrange the God incidences on the way if we do prayerfully obey him. Now we could sort of shrug off the story a bit to this point and say, well, I've never had an angel come and tell me to do anything, and you probably never will. But you do have a very specific command from Jesus to go. So you can't say, well, I haven't heard an angel, so I'm staying here, thank you very much. We're told very directly, Matthew 28, 19-20, go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus finishes that with the promise, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. Now we've come here today because we believe as we gather we'll experience God's presence. And that's true and that's good and that's right. But this verse is telling us that actually as we go out, we experience God's presence in a way that is incredible and powerful. So we can't just inspect people to come here. We need to be going out following this command we have from Christ and we'll know God's presence as we do it. It's his promise. Acts 1.8, I've already read it. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need to respond in obedience to these commands, these direct commands from Jesus to us, his church. Just as Philip responded to that very amazing angelic command. Yes, we'll never probably see an angel. Yes, we'll probably never have an angel tell us where to go. But, we have the words of Jesus. So let's be open and obedient and get in line with this plan of God to redeem the whole world. He wants to reach the ends of the earth. We need to be the ones going, just as Philip went. So we see this direct command from God. But we also see, as we go through the story, that there is a big, some big barriers to break down. As we carry on reading verse 27, as we read, he met the Ethiopian eunuch this important official who had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and verse 28, was on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now let's just think about this Ethiopian eunuch for a moment. He is a powerful, important man, we read. He's the treasure of the Ethiopian queen, or the Kandake, or Kandace, as it's in some versions. And it wasn't that was her name, it was just the regal title of the queen of the Ethiopians, uh, because apparently the king of the Ethiopians was so important, he was the son of the god of the sun, and so he was too important to do any work. So it's a bit like Prince Philip, just didn't do anything, let the queen get on with everything. Sorry if you're... Yeah. No offense to him, he probably enjoys that job. Um, but that was her turn. She was the one in charge, essentially. And so to be the treasurer of the queen was an important role. It was no small task. And Nubia... Ethiopia back then is not the same as Ethiopia today. It was more like modern-day Sudan, and there was a little bit of overlap with modern-day Ethiopia. But it was a long way from Jerusalem. He, it was an important kingdom at many points that had actually controlled Egypt. So he was not just some two-bit treasurer coming from the district. He was a import, very important man, a very powerful man, and in representing a powerful a kingdom, and he was reading the text out loud of Isaiah. So he was an educated man. Very few people back in those days could read. 
So he's quite a, quite a, a, an important key character. Of course, he's a eunuch, which I don't really want to go into details. My son's in the class today, in, the, in, in church today, but he, he, that was normal for people in his position who worked in the court to remove all the kinds of temptations of messing around with the queens and the princesses, and perhaps they hoped it also took away the ambition to take over. So he had probably had that done to him, and it wasn't a pleasant thing. So this was who we're looking at. And as you can see, he'd come a long way. You can see that's all the Nile River he'd had to travel. And scholars tell us maybe a 1,000 miles he had to go to get to Jerusalem, maybe even 1,500 miles, depending on how you reckon it. This wasn't just a day trip. This was something he would have been saving up for a long time, uh, asking for all his annual leave at once to go and make this trip of several weeks, maybe even months, to get to Jerusalem. Because somehow... As an Ethiopian Gentile eunuch in this position, he'd somehow heard about the God of Israel. Now, there were lots of Jewish settlements in Egypt and Upper Egypt that he probably would have interacted with, and somehow he'd heard about this God that somehow he thought was the true God. And so he had sought this God, made this long journey, and got all the way to Jerusalem, the center of Judaism to see about this God of Israel that he'd heard about and that, he'd put his, that he was believing in. And as he gets there, we can imagine, I believe, something of his disappointment because he finds some insurmountable barriers for him when he gets to Jerusalem. First, he's a Gentile. He's not even allowed into the temple. He wants to go and worship God, but he can't even get in. There's an area outside the temple called the Court of the Gentiles where they let the Gentiles in just to have a wander around, but they couldn't go in. He was a Gentile. He could not get to this God he wanted to worship. It was an insurmountable barrier. Even worse, he was a eunuch. And if you read some very graphic verses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they don't use the word eunuch. They describe the process, which is quite painful. And he couldn't even make sacrifices. So he had no way of approaching God. And if he thought he could get around by becoming a Jew, he wasn't even allowed to join the people of God as a eunuch. That was prohibited by law. He faced an insurmountable barrier, and he's come. Imagine, several months' journey, over a thousand miles, and it's a big letdown. He is not allowed anywhere near. And he's probably felt very rejected, and especially once they found out he was a eunuch. That was sort of a big no-no, and you know, it, it was a disappointing experience for him. He faced this huge barrier. But we're going to see how God overcomes that barrier in a moment. But let's think about Philip for a minute. And I can identify myself more with Philip. He faced an intimidating barrier. He's walking down this road following God's strange command in a desert. And he sees this chariot coming along. Or maybe it was he had to catch up with it. I don't know. And the Spirit clearly says to him, verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. He doesn't get the big angelic voice anymore coming. And he might have wanted an angel at that point. Because he sees an obviously foreign person, a black Ethiopian, in a chariot, which makes him important, rich. And he would have known the Ethiopians were famous for their archery and shooting people first and asking questions later. So a bit like another country I won't name. And he would think, you're telling me to go and talk to him? You know, this person who's so important, so powerful, and he's just going to think I'm coming up to, to rob him or something? And I could imagine his excuses. Well, he's obviously foreign. I can't speak his language. You know, he, might try, he might think I'm just trying to rob him. Or I can't keep up with his chariot. It's the latest model. 
He was a rich guy after all. Well, I'll get covered in dust. I'm allergic to horses. That would be my thought process. Any excuse to say, well, actually, I can't quite go and talk to that person you're telling me to talk to, God. And by the time you run through all those excuses, the opportunity is gone. And I can think of many times I've failed in that way, that nudge to say, open your mouth and share, and, but, but, but you know, what if that puts him off me? What if he no longer likes All those kind of things we think. But we don't read that about Philip. We read that he actually he ran over and kept up with his chariot. He, he breaks this intimidating barrier he has to go through. And it brought him to the point of seeing God's hand at work because lo and behold, yet another God incidence, as he's jogging along, choking out the dust, he hears this man reading the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isn't that amazing? This is God clearly at work. He knows he's in the right place. He knows he's doing what God wants him to do. And the barriers are broken down as Philip climbs up into that chariot and begins to explain the gospel to him. I just want to take us a little bit further back in time to see how those barriers had been prophesied that they would be overcome one day already in Isaiah 56, just a few chapters on from the passage we're going to look at in a second. In Isaiah 56, despite these very clear commands in the law that no eunuch can ever enter God's kingdom or be part of God's people, God or any foreigner, God makes this promise. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. In other words, I can't be fruitful. God has a promise for the eunuchs. And it goes on to say in, in the next few verses, I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Within my temple where he'd just been excluded from. There's a promise that he would have sons and daughters that he couldn't have. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Something as a eunuch, he had no chance of happening. And to the foreigners, I will bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Again, beyond that court of the Gentiles, here's a promise saying the Gentiles are going to be let into God's house. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. My house... And remember what Jesus said to the disciples, will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God's heart is for the nations. And God's people at this time had lost that heart. They were all about setting up barriers, excluding people because they didn't fit their criteria. But on Jesus' heart is the nations and every kind of person, whether it's the despised Samaritans, as we saw last week, or the even more despised eunuchs that we're seeing this week. God says they're going to come into my house. And so part of the good news this man will see and hear from Philip is that in Christ we are all one. As Paul will go on to say later in Galatians 3.28, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor Ethiopian nor eunuch. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the promise the eunuch is going to discover as Philip goes on. And before we do that, here's a challenge for us. Barriers are not broken down if we don't obey God's command to go. Barriers are not broken down if we don't listen to the voice of the Spirit. 
And barriers are not broken down if we don't cross the road and go to be with the person we're called to be with. However difficult that may seem in the moment. However challenging. So we see these, uh, these barriers literally being blasted as these two people come together. But it's our job as the church to break down the barriers today. Phil last week reminded us that the gospel has no barriers and therefore we shouldn't be putting them up. In fact, we should be going out of our way as Philip did to break them down. So what happens next? Well then, we see Philip taking the role of a good guide. Verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, Philip asked How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So we see Philip had as this guide, and in fact, when, when you read it, it actually says, how can I unless someone guides me? It wasn't that he was to just explain, he was guiding him through what it meant. We see Philip had sensitivity to the spirit, but he also had the right approach. He doesn't come in just saying, hey, let me tell you what's going on. He said, asks a very simple question that gets the conversation going. Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, a few days ago, the Jehovah's Witnesses came by, and every, every single time I've been visited one by one, they always do the same thing. One of them will ask you, are you worried about the future? What do you think about the state of the world? That's always the same question they always bring because they want to get you onto their watchtower propaganda of the new heaven, the new earth. They're not really thinking, well, what does this guy coming out? I've just thrown off my dressing gown. What, what's this guy on about? Or what, what's his worries? What's he thinking about? They've got a very set method and they're going to go through it no matter what. Philip has a sensitivity to the Spirit, and he meets this person where he's at. He's reading Isaiah. Do you understand? He didn't even say, can I tell you what it means? He just says, do you understand? And from there, this person then invites him up, and he's able to share the gospel from the passage. He doesn't need another prompting from the Spirit at that point. He doesn't need another angelic command, explain the gospel. He had that evangelistic attitude. And his role was vital. He was the person to guide this, this Ethiopian eunuch. He had the scriptures there in front of him. He had the desire to know God. But he needed someone to guide him through. Because otherwise it didn't make sense. And that's our role today. The same vital role to guide people to Christ from where they're at. And we see, finally, he had a thorough knowledge of scripture. He could take this passage and guide the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. And that's where our title comes from today. It's all about Jesus. Yes, the Old Testament always points us to Christ. Not in a kind of literal way that every verse says his name or every verse should be matched up to him in some forced way. But the whole story together, all of it coming together, is pointing to and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Philip can say, Guess what? A few weeks ago, a few months ago, all this happened to Jesus in Jerusalem, the fulfillment of the passage that you are reading today that was written so many hundreds of years ago by Isaiah. The eunuch was reading this passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life? was taken from the earth. Those two verses is, of course, not the whole gospel. 
They're part of the servant songs that we find in Isaiah. And there was big debates in Judaism. Who is this servant that Isaiah is going on about? Is it Israel? Because sometimes that seems to be the case. Or is it some other mysterious figure? We don't know. And what the church realized and what Jesus pointed clearly was that he was that servant figure. And this comes from the suffering servant that begins in chapter 52. So he would have gone on to say, Philip would have gone on to tell him it's all about Jesus. He was despised and rejected the way the chief priests, the rulers, took him and threw him away, brought him to Pilate. He was wounded for our transgressions, beaten, crucified. And as in his death, he justified many and bore our sins. That was the beginning of the gospel message Philip could give from this passage. And I'm sure he would have used many more scriptures. And it would be an interesting challenge for us to say, let's open our Bibles at Isaiah 52 and lead someone to the gospel, to Christ. One of the commentators I was reading, F.F. Bruce, says there's no more fitting passage to explain Christ than this one. He says this, It was Jesus and no other who offered up his life as a sacrifice for sin and justified many by bearing their iniquities exactly as had been written of the obedient servant. And he goes on to say that just the way Jesus died and suffered, so it's certain that through his suffering and death, men and women of all nations have experienced forgiveness and redemption, just as the prophet foretold. Can we do the same? Now, we probably won't come across too many people reading Isaiah 53 out loud in our day-to-day life. But people do have questions, and we can ask them questions. People are seeking, searching for identity, in the same way that Ethiopian eunuch was looking for an identity. Insecure in who he was. People are searching for acceptance and love. They've been rejected time and time again. People are wanting to know that the barrier they feel somehow between them and happiness, them and whatever it is they're looking for, has been dealt with in Christ. Are we, as Peter says, able to give a hope for the re- give a reason for the hope that's within us? I do wish sometimes I could carry around, you know, a pocket Ravi Zacharias or a John Lennox that I could whip out when you meet someone who's good at debating. But guess what? We have even more than Philip did. He was doing this because he didn't have John 3.16. He didn't have Revelation 3.20, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23. He had the Old Testament, and from that he took someone to Christ. We have the New Testament as well. And even more importantly, we have the same Holy Spirit that was prompting and guiding Philip, prompting and guiding us, and enabling us to share the gospel with others. That's what the Spirit wants to do with you, enable you to share the gospel to someone else. And we have the richness of the whole of the scriptures. So let's learn those scriptures better. Let's open up our ears and our eyes to hear what God is saying through his spirit. And let's have have that same evangelistic attitude as Philip to guide others to Christ from where they're at. As we finish, we see then that after this amazing moment where Philip explains the gospel, the Ethiopian eunuch believes and says, I want to be baptized. He says, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And let's just think about that. What is there to stop me from being baptized? Well, he's just been told, you're a Gentile, don't come here. You're a eunuch, don't come here. And Philip says, guess what? In Christ Jesus, you're welcome here. Those barriers have all been removed through Christ's death. There is nothing that can keep us from Christ if we believe and put our trust in him. 
There is nothing that can keep anyone else from Christ. Not our criteria. doesn't matter what you've done in your past or what you've had done to you. Nothing can keep you from Christ. The barrier has been taken away. And so he gets baptized. And we read that as he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit snatches Philip away and he goes on his way rejoicing. It's a supernatural experience. I think it would have been amazing to be Philip, snatched away by the Spirit, ends up 20 miles away in Azotus. But I think it was an even more amazing experience for this Ethiopian eunuch to be born of God from above by the same Spirit. That is far more powerful than being transported from one place to another. This Ethiopian eunuch's eternal destiny was sealed in that moment and he discovered acceptance and life in Christ. Far more important and impressive than being carried 20 miles by the Holy Spirit. Though it wouldn't be bad if it happened. So Philip is snatched away by the Spirit and you think, wow, what an amazing end to the story. It begins and ends with this kind of prophetic experience. Elijah gets snatched away and people like him and Philip does too according to God's divine plan. But it doesn't quite end there. There's also a very ordinary journey. Philip traveled about. I think I jumped ahead, did I? Nope. Philip traveled about, and it says, as he went, he was preaching the good news in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. No more angels, no more Holy Spirit transport, just his own two feet, but still the same passion to share Jesus with other people and to preach the gospel. And he carries on up the road. And in fact, you'll see quite funnily, he ends up in Caesarea, which is only about 20 or 30 miles from Samaria. There's a bit of a detour that God made him go on because God had a special plan for that Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know what happened to him. We don't even know his name. According to church history, he went back and became a missionary to his own people, that, that kingdom of Ethiopia as it was then. But God had this plan and he put it into effect to reach the ends of the earth through Philip and through this Ethiopian eunuch. And we see Philip 20 years later still in Caesarea when Paul and Luke come through and perhaps this is where Luke interviewed him and said, hey, tell me about that time when the Spirit raptured you away. He may never have had any more of these dramatic experiences, we're not told, but he got on with the job of reaching others for Christ. So I want to leave us with a few thoughts. Yes, we may never have an angelic visitation. We may never be told directly, go somewhere specifically, but we have a command to go. Are we obeying it? And as we go, are we listening to the Spirit for his prompts, his guidance? Do we know the scriptures so that we can lead others, guide others to Christ? In our ordinary journeys, are we introducing others to God? And as this passage and the whole Bible is all about Jesus, are our lives the same thing? Do they point others to Christ? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this story that challenges us on many levels, Lord. On us, like Philip, are we being your servants, reaching others, having that evangelistic heart? And are we accepting in the same way that he was of this strange person who had been so... Uh, cruelly rejected by others. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, you would help us know your scriptures better so that we can be the person that guides someone else to Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen.